Welcome to Vetsplanation. I'm Tyler, or you can call me Shugs. I love being able to educate my pet parents on what's going on with their furry little loved one. But as an emergency veterinarian, I'm usually running around from critical case to critical case and don't always have the time to be able to tell you what I've learned in 25 years of experience in just those short two minutes. I'm hoping with this podcast, I'm going to be able to help you guys understand what your veterinarian is trying to tell you. So let's jump into this week's episode. Welcome back to the podcast. If you enjoyed the episode last week on Blocked Cats, please rate and subscribe. If you have any comments for me, I'd love to read them. Otherwise, this week we're going to be starting on Addison's disease. I'm going to be going over what Addison's disease is, a little bit of anatomy, the different types, what you're going to be looking for at home, how we diagnose it, how we treat it, long-term treatments, and the prognosis. So just to start out with Addison's disease, Addison's disease, the medical term for it is hypoadrenocorticism. Now, just to break that down, hypo means low. Adrenal are these little glands, the adrenal glands that sit above your kidneys. And then corticism, so that refers to the cortex or the outer portion of the adrenal glands. So just for some anatomy, like I said, the adrenal glands sit right above the kidneys these little tiny glands, and they have an outer part and an inner part. So the outer part is called the cortex, and the inner part is called the medulla. So the outer part is responsible for a couple of different things. It's mostly responsible for the salt, sugar, and sex. Essentially, the outermost part is responsible for your mineral corticoids, or your salts. The middle-ish portion of the cortex is responsible for the sugar or your cortisol. And then the inner portion of the cortex is responsible for your sex hormones like estrogen and a little bit of testosterone. And then the medulla, the innermost part of your adrenal gland is responsible for things like your adrenaline. Um, so like when you get your adrenaline highs, that's usually from your medulla of the adrenal glands. Now, Going back to Addison's disease, like I said, this is hypo, so small adrenal cortex. So that outer portion of the adrenal glands are really small. They're not functioning correctly. Now, there are two types of hypoadrenocorticism or two types of Addison's disease. They're called typical and atypical Addison's disease. Typical Addison's disease usually affects the sugar and the salt versus atypical usually just affects the sugar portion of it. Now, Addison's disease is hard because it can be misdiagnosed very easily. It looks like so many different things and it can affect almost anybody. The most commonly affected animals are going to be females over males. You are most likely going to be seeing this in the middle-aged animals and for the breed dispositions, it's usually going to be like standard poodles, Westies, Great Danes, bearded collies, uh, Portuguese water dogs, Rottweilers, and Wheaton Terriers. But the hard part is, is that still doesn't, that's just the most common ones. It could still affect anybody. This could be in a 13-year-old dog. It could be in a mixed breed dog. It could be in a male dog. Um, it could literally be in anybody. 
and it can look like almost anything. So the things that most commonly we see in our Addisonian patients are going to be just just waxing and waning things. What does that mean? So I mean, just like sometimes you'll see these symptoms and sometimes you won't. So those symptoms are usually just going to be a little bit lethargic, maybe some weakness, maybe they will eat one day, but won't eat the next day. Uh, sometimes they'll have diarrhea for a day or two, and then you'll feed them a bland diet and then it goes away. Or maybe they'll have vomiting and then the next day it's gone. They might seem like they might have some weight loss or they're drinking more water than usual, or you might not even notice that they're drinking more water than usual because you think that that's just normal for them because they've done it for so long. But then it progresses to becoming life-threatening. So then they start having blood in their vomit and stool. They collapse. They can't get up. They have severe abdominal pain. Maybe they have seizures. And all of those things are what leads to something called an Addisonian crisis. That is very, very bad. That is a huge emergency when that happens. So what's happening? So typically, either we have something called a primary adrenocortical failure, meaning that the cortex of the adrenal gland is not working because we're not 100% sure why, but we think that it's because there's an autoimmune problem that's happening. So we think that the own body is causing this. It's causing the adrenal gland not to be able to work anymore. There are secondary problems, meaning there's something else that can cause it. So that can be things that are causing tumors. It could be things that are causing bleeding um, or certain drugs can cause it. So some dogs are being treated for Cushing's disease, which is the opposite of hypoadrenocorticism. It's hyperadrenocorticism where you're producing too much steroids. Those dogs are given a medication to try to help kill off the adrenal glands or stop the adrenal glands from producing too much of that sugar or cortisol and in turn can accidentally go the go a little bit too far and push those dogs into Addison's disease. Some of the things that we're going to see just when you bring your dog in are maybe we're going to notice that the dog is really weak, it's very thin, it's very dehydrated, Sometimes their heart rate is going to be very low. They're going to have really low body temperatures and they might have really weak pulses. How do we diagnose hypoadrenocorticism or Addison's disease? Typically, these are really hard to diagnose because like I said, these can look like a lot of other things. The vomiting and the diarrhea, that could look like maybe your dog ended up having a foreign body. Especially if you have something like a Labrador or a young dog, then we might really suspect some sort of foreign body. They might start with doing x-rays on the dog. Or maybe we think that, you know, the dog, somebody mentions that the dog got a piece of steak the day before. Maybe we just assume that the dog has a pancreatitis or has an upset stomach called gastroenteritis. And maybe we just treat the dog rather than actually doing diagnostics on them. But Really, the big things that are going to show us that there's potentially an Addison's disease is by doing blood work on the dog. So there's a couple of things that we're looking at at blood work. 
Um, typically, the first thing is that we're looking for the sodium and potassium ratio. Now, this only works for the typical Addisonian patient, not the atypical Addisonian patient. So a typical Addisonian patient will have a really low sodium-potassium ratio. So what that means is we're looking to see how much sodium is in the bloodstream versus how much potassium is in the bloodstream. The potassium will be really high and the sodium will be really low, or at least in comparison with what they should be. Other things we're going to look for is going to be if there is a lack of stress leukogram, meaning that the dog should be really stressed out. It doesn't feel well. It should have some really high white blood cells and it doesn't on its blood work. Other things are going to be that it shows dehydration. So that's called azotemia when we have our kidney values are elevated. It might have low blood sugar or hypoglycemia. And we might have some other random things as well, like mild anemia, meaning low red blood cells, or a metabolic acidosis, meaning that the dog's blood is very acidic, which makes them very, very ill. All of those things, though, can be seen in multiple different types of diseases, which again makes this very difficult to determine that this is Addison's disease. Sometimes the dog will be misdiagnosed with things like a neurological problem or a kidney problem because of the azotemia, or maybe they're misdiagnosed with just gastroenteritis because we didn't do the blood work. Uh, there's a lot of different things that that we can misdiagnose them as. Depending on how bad they are, this could be a life-threatening thing. If the dog does have Addisonian crisis, then that is life-threatening. Other diagnostic tests that we're going to end up doing are going to be things like a basal cortisol or a baseline cortisol. This is usually some test to be able to help to rule out Addisonian disease, but it doesn't definitively rule in Addison's disease. So what that means is we take this cortisol test. So we're looking for the sugar portion of our, of our cortex of our adrenal gland. And we're checking to see if it is producing cortisol. So if the baseline cortisol is above two, which means it's higher, then we know that the adrenal gland is producing cortisol. And we can say, definitively that the dog does not have Addison's disease. But let's say that that baseline cortisol is low. Then the next step that we're going to want to do is something called an ACTH stim test. What that does is we would take that first blood draw and then we would give the dog an injection called cortricin. And that injection tells the body to produce more cortisol. So if we give the injection and the dog produces more cortisol, the ACTH stem test will be high, and then we know the dog does not have Addison's. But if we give that cortisin and it tells the dog to produce more cortisol, and it cannot produce more cortisol, then we know the dog does have Addison's because its adrenal gland was not able to function correctly. If that's the case, then we start treating the dog for Addison's disease. So one of the things is we start the dog on steroids. 
we're essentially giving back what that cortisol is not able to produce. So cortisol is in all of our cells. Cortisol is basically that sugar, and that's what the steroids are helping to do, is to give back those sugars. So sugars are glucocorticoids, and that's what the steroids are. We're only giving small amounts of the steroids, so I know a lot of people get worried about what steroids do. You know, there's lots of concern for long-term management of steroids, but when we're giving back these steroids for Addison's disease, we're giving back small amounts and only the amount that the dog's body would automatically already produce on its own, that it just can't produce anymore, unfortunately, right now. The second thing that we're doing is we're going to be giving IV fluids in an emergency situation. So that dog is really dehydrated and we need to rehydrate them very quickly and rebalance their sodium and potassium. As we had talked before about in the blocked cats, potassium being high is a really big deal. That is life-threatening and it can cause arrhythmias or an irregular rhythm of the heart. The same thing is true in these Addisonian patients. If that potassium is too high, it will cause the same problem. And so we need to get you to start emergency therapy to bring down that potassium. The next big thing is that we need to give something called DOCP or Zycortal. Those are the two most common ones. And that is an injection that is given to help regulate electrolytes, so that's sodium and potassium, and help with the water balance. That's something that's going to be done as a long-term thing. So when we talk about like maintenance stuff for our Addisonian patients, we're giving those steroids like I talked about, but we're also giving an injection once a month. So it's typically every 28 days that they do it, but the goal is to try to help balance the electrolytes and keep them balanced. It starts out as kind of a higher dose, and then you start tapering down to the lower doses of that injection until you get to a nice maintenance dose. Usually after the dog is is discharged from the hospital, they are rechecked at somewhere between 10 to 14 days to make sure that their electrolytes are normal, and then rechecked again at 28 days to make sure that those electrolytes are normal and given their second injection of that DOCP or Zycortal injection. After that, they're still monitored every 28 days, so rechecked every 28 days to decrease those doses, so their electrolytes are rechecked every 28 days until they can decrease the dose to a nice normal maintenance dose. And then after that, they don't have to be rechecked every time. Usually they only have to be rechecked about once every six months to make sure that they're still on a good dose. One really important thing to note is that that you know at this point like as long as you can get the patient through that life-threatening portion of it and you can keep up on doing the DOCP or zycortal injections and giving the steroid which is a once a day pill by the way that usually they have a really good prognosis like it's an excellent prognosis you just have to be on top of things And then if they're going to have something really stressful happen, a really good idea would be to double their dose of their prednisone. So like, let's say if they're going to go to the groomers, uh, that's going to be something stressful. You know, it's going to be a planned thing. I usually tell people to give the prednisone twice a day rather than once a day for the day before, 
the day of, and the day after the stressful event. So the reason why is the dog cannot produce more of that steroid that it would need to in the times of stress. And so instead, we need to help them by giving them more of that steroid so that they don't have to try to make more and we don't push them into an Addisonian crisis again. So by doing it beforehand, we're prepping the body for it. By doing it the day of, they have it available. And by doing it the day after, their body can recover. One other interesting thing to note is they can have the exact same symptoms when they do have something like whipworms. And so if you do think that the, your dog does have Addisonian, or does have Addison's, one thing would potentially be to bring in a fecal sample just so that they can test for whipworms and make sure that whipworms is not one of the differentials. Because if we give a steroid and that's not the case, it is that it does have whipworms, then we're treating for the wrong disease. Thank you guys for listening. I really appreciate just you listening to all the information that I have to give you. And I really hope this helps all of our future pet parents. Please remember that we are all just practicing veterinary medicine. Medicine changes constantly, both in humans and in animals. We're always learning about new techniques, new things about diseases, and also new treatments. So your veterinarian might suggest something just a little bit different than what we've talked about here.